Saturday night was a vibe, bro. What the hell is going on? They're just playing well, and it's gelling really well. There's no America without Black people fighting for themselves. We're getting too old, but we're just getting started. You are now listening to the Dreaming of Freedom podcast on the Two Cents FC Network. To the Dreaming of Freedom podcast, where we play at the intersection of football, politics, history, and culture. I'm Jermaine. And I'm Callie. And we are members of Black Herons United, an independent Black supporters group for Inter Miami and all things Black soccer in South Florida. For today's show, we are feeling good. We are feeling very good, beautiful people. Uh, we usually don't talk Inter Miami, but when we do, we have to have the one and only Alex Winley, uh, and we will definitely be discussing the first two match days of the season. Uh, afterwards, we'll get into what we did for Black History Month and then end the episode with a little discussion on what the hell is really happening with uh, Florida politics. Alex, you must be exhausted opening the season. How are you? How are you feeling from um, I'm your good. standpoint? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, pretty crazy start to the season, but um, it's been rewarding and, you know, the team's playing great. So um, no complaints, really. Word, word. So Alex, uh, first game, Montreal. What were your predictions? And then how did we come out and play uh, based off of what you thought? Yeah, well, uh, with Leo Campana out, obviously Neville had to switch some things up a bit. Um, he went with the one striker uh, formation, you know, Joseph up up there and, and quarantine John was more of a winger. So it wasn't really a, a diamond, even though uh, they do set up that way. It's more of a, you know, a 4-2-3-1 with uh, John Mata and Gregory as the two central midfielders. Uh, Pizarro as a winger, um, Stefanelli as a 10 and obviously Coco on the wing. And yeah, it's been playing well. You know, we saw it um, uh, last night where, um, you know, Miami beat um, the arguably the best team in the league right now, the Philadelphia Union, um, you know, playing their brand of soccer. You know, they controlled large parts of the game. They uh, unnerved the Union and, and it, it just looked, you know, there were some nervy moments, but the defense held on. Drake stood on his head again, uh, Drake Callender. And yeah, it was just a good overall game from Miami and Similarly to against Montreal, um, you know, they played their game. They didn't really allow Montreal to get in behind with Romo Kyoto and all that. So, um, yeah, Neville's tactics in Miami, they're buying into it and they're, they're working hard. Yeah. Um, from what I've seen, um, the offense, the way the offense, at least how we've run when we've had possession is night and day from from last season it's much more i mean i know i know phil's emphasized that he wants you know more direct attacking you know form you know formation and and, and you know play style but it's really really impressive man like the, the way the ball's moving the i mean <laughs> so these new additions have improved the team drastically yeah especially i'd say franco negri and uh sergey krivstoff um they've been huge you know compared to uh, you know, uh, last season where they had McVay playing at at left back, and uh, and, and you know maybe a strike a, a center back pairing a, a center back pairing that maybe didn't work as well. You know they they you know they had to trade Damian Lowe in order to acquire Kristoff, but um, you know Chris Henderson is paid, 
uh, to do what he does. And, you know, what he did was a, a smart move for Miami. So uh, they got a, a Champions League experience center back pairing next to McVay now and Negri, who's, you know, from coming from the Argentine League and, you know, his experience there. And, and yeah, the back line looks solid. And now it's, the onus isn't on Yedlin to get up and down the field <laughs> but like, on the right flank by himself. But now it's a lot more balanced with Negri on the left. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, kudos to the, the the coaching staff and the and the uh, um, the, the scouting team, and they, they made what they did what they needed to do. Uh, obviously, guys like Stefanelli and Joseph will continue to gel and get better, but uh, so far, you know, Coco Jean and Pizarro, who's like a new player, but you know, he's off on loan. Um, yeah, they're just playing well, and it's gelling really well for them. And um, you know, NYCFC next week, uh, this weekend, well, yes, this weekend, I think. Um, will be difficult, but, you know, Miami are in a good run of form, and uh, let's see how that goes. Yeah, you know, I mean, everyone's kind of really excited about the new additions, but I think a lot of the the returning players, right, have, have shown some major improvement as well. Um, you know, I mean, Gregory is looking kind of like his his old self. Uh, Jean Mota is, is, you know, seems like he's a little bit more comfortable in the system, right? He seems like he's having a little bit more freedom to play up, you know, up and down the pitch. Uh, um, you know, what do you see? What do you see from some of our returning players? Yeah, last night, Greg, uh, excuse me, Phil Neville actually touched on Gregory and Mata and their partnership, how, um, you know, they're best friends off the field. And, and so it's kind of like yin, yin and yang with their with their movement. And similarly to their playing style, you know, uh, Jean Mata is more the composed a central midfielder who's better on the ball and, and Gregory will, uh, you know, basically tackle everything in his way. So it's 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 a good pairing. And when you add them up with um, a Stefanelli and Coco and Pizarro, who like to roam and, and kind of find those pockets of space, you know, they have two very good uh, central midfielders to just kind of hold the spine of the team down and, and the front attacking four can go and, and, and do as they please. So, um, yeah, kudos to them for stepping up and, and um, they've improved significantly. Yeah, I'd, I'd venture to say that maybe last night was the best I've seen Gregory and Moda play together in their time and in, in their time down here. So that's really encouraging. Definitely, definitely encouraging. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you, you mentioned Negri earlier. Have we heard anything from him in terms of his injury? I know he, he got taken out early and McVeigh had to move to the left. So. Yeah, um, well, no, we haven't heard anything. Uh, um, Neville didn't address it in the, the post-match conference, but I did see him uh, in a couple of um, post-game videos, him walking around with the team after the game. So if it was serious, he probably would have headed straight down the tunnel into the locker room. But, you know, that didn't happen. And um, so we'll, we'll see um, Tuesday. They have another uh, training session. So um, we'll get some more info on that. And then obviously, you know, I'll update everyone <laughs> if, if there's something, you know, if he's injured or, or, or you know, it's just a knock. So. Word, word. Uh, apologies if anyone's hearing a crying baby in the background. If you're not, good for you. But there's a crying, <laughs> there's a crying baby in the background. Anyways, um, so Alex, what would you say is Inter Miami's like identity, right, as a team? Um, you know, like, like the first couple of seasons, it's been it's been difficult trying to uh, it's been difficult kind of pinpoint what their identity is as a club and kind of their tactical style what would you say um is kind of in miami yeah so i'd say their style is you know well especially against the union they were you know uh defend compactly uh, you know stop things on in transition and 
a strike, um, you know, sort of like a fluid front four. You know, they have Pizarro, um, Stefanelli, um, uh, and Coco Jean on the wing. So they're very, you know, intelligent players who will find the space. And Joseph's always that middle point. So right now it's very fluid, very quick. Um, you know, they do slow it down a bit when it comes to, you know, maybe on a counter instead of maybe lumping the ball up, they'll, they'll kind of pass it back and work through their passing patterns compared to last season. You know, maybe they'll just lump it up to Iguain, but this year it's much more measured and, and composed. So I'd say depending on the opponent, they can dominate possession or, you know, versus, um, you know, Philly, they they went pretty quickly and, and tried to, to hit Philly um how the union you know hit other teams so um they played they basically kind of beat them at their own game and and it, it worked so i think uh, miami are adaptable flexible uh together you know can be possession based but like um like we saw when audi Lasseter came on they can also get on the counter and and hit it that way yeah so is there like a noticeable difference in the training this year than from what you saw last year yeah, they're much more together, and um, I know Ewain has gotten a lot of flag, but you know, um, you know, having a guy like Ewain with his presence and all the, all of his accolades and what he's accomplished through his career can be kind of intimidating. And you know, sometimes personalities don't gel. But obviously, Ewain was on fire the last couple of games of the season, and uh, probably one of the big reasons why Miami got in the playoffs. But personality, you know, the team is uh, super together. You know, Pizarro's back, uh, uh, playing well. Um, you know, they're just really together and they're, they're you know, it's it's like a family sort of atmosphere. The trainings are super light and fun and, you know, everyone's fighting for each other. So it's and it shows on the field. You know, last night, you know, um, you know the Robert Taylor celebration with McVeigh and Lasseter. And, you know, it just shows that off the field they're getting along well and and, and you know, on the field that makes them play better. So it's a close bond, really cohesive for, for them. I'd venture to say that that Robbie Taylor goal is, is in the is, it's in the conversation for best goals in in club history probably. That t- that touch off great pass for Moda first and foremost, and then for Robbie to just be in the right place that touch off the chest and hit it off the volley. Yeah, I mean in the North Stand we we lost our mind. Like, <laughs> yeah, especially yeah, against the Union, they're a top team, and that goal pretty much sealed it. The, the Union looked really frustrated throughout the game, so. You know, that second goal kind of killed their momentum and, and Miami were able to hold on with Drake and Kristoff and, and McVeigh and, and even Ryan Taylor coming on and just kind of battening down the hatches. So, um, yeah, crazy goal. Uh, definitely will win goal of the week. Um, you know, that win will propel Miami you know, up the power rankings. I know a lot of y'all saw that, how they were like, you know, predicted to finish like 13th in the East, which I, I, I can't. Even before the season, I didn't see that happening. And now I... All you know, the winning and and the, how they're playing, I, I still don't see it. So they'll definitely be making the playoffs. So yeah, that goal from Robert Taylor it was just the icing on the cake on a, a really good uh, play, well played match from Miami. All right. So, so what do we do? What do we make of Pizarro? Right. I mean, I thought he had a decent performance last game. I mean, I know there's a lot of talks surrounding his return. He didn't really leave on the best of you know the best of terms. I mean, what do we to make of, of, of? Yeah. So with Pizarro, I think he. You know, he was really a victim of the locker room. You know, it was obvious him and uh, Iguain did not get along, so they shipped him off on loan, hoping to sell him off. But, you know, they tried this offseason to sell him, but uh, when there were no buyers, they kind of had to go to plan B, and the plan B was to integrate them, integrate him back into the squad. And, you know, so far he's doing well, and um, he's settling down. The players, you know, the players like him, and they wanted him back, and, 
you know, it shows on the field. He's playing with much more joy now. And um, I don't know if you guys saw on the social media, um, um, just kind of from deducing what the messenger said, I, I believe he bought a, a house in Miami now. So, um, you know, clearly you don't buy a house if you don't plan on, on staying here for a long time uh, or for the long term, unless, you know, he's, you know, into flipping houses and, and selling them off. I, I don't think so. But um, that's a pretty big indicator that Pizarro could be uh, in Miami further than this season. You know, maybe not as a DP, though, you know, right, reminder, uh, the sanctions do end next season. So they could bring him back on a, a, a TAM uh, contract. And I think no one will really have an issue with that. I think the biggest issue is that, you know, him being a DP and, you know, he doesn't have that DP production. But, you know, as a TAM player, like, I don't think anyone have, would have an issue. So, um, yeah, they reintegrated him. You know, he bought a house in Miami. You know, this is just speculation on my part. Maybe he'll stay past this season, but um, yeah, he's been doing well. The players like him. Um, you know, he was running, you know, the 92nd minute, he was still running. So it shows his dedication and his spirit. And um, Phil Neville had a, a, you know, a plethora of, of praises to say uh, towards him after the match. So um, yeah, he's been doing well. Yeah, I think for the fan perspective, it was easy for us to, you know, us as fans that like aren't at tra every training, we're not in the building, we, we don't see everything. It was easier for us to see Pizarro coming back and we couldn't get rid of him. We're like, man, this is, this is going to be rough. But yeah, he, you know, and you know what, he makes some mistakes. He made a couple passes and he holds onto the balls too long that we're just like, what are you doing, man? But what you cannot take away from him is, is his work rate. I mean, I feel by like the 70th, 80th minute, like their midfield was gas just chasing around. Pizarro yeah yeah and with Pizarro and, and something I've, I've told people it's like we're, we're we're doing this assuming that he's gonna he's gonna do poorly but he's been he's been outstanding he's been one of our better midfielders and um to see him performing the way that he is is really really encouraging you know and uh I think he he's almost carrying almost like a like some trauma from when he was here before, because I noticed when he's walking back to the locker room, we're, we're all seeing him walk. He always has a hoodie over. He's trying not to like have anybody recognize him, but people, the fans have been super receptive towards him and he's become, he's become a little more open with us. So that's really encouraging to see. It's, yeah. it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good thing that he's playing well for us. Yeah. I think he mentioned that um, before the Austin game, he was a little, he felt anxious, uh, you know, stepping onto the field again, cause he didn't know how the, the team, the, the fans were going to receive him. So um, yeah, it'll take a couple of games for him to, to, to maybe settle down and realize the fans aren't as against him as he thinks they are. But um, yeah, it's a welcome sight to, to see him back and inform. So, uh, Alex, uh, you know, last question about, you know, in Miami, you don't want to take too much of your time, but we noticed that Phil had mentioned, uh, you know, some some kind of glowing comments about the, you know, supporters and about the vibe this season. Uh, can you kind of tell us about, you know, what he was referring to and, you know, how he is feeling about, you know, the rest of the season and Drive Pink? Yeah, he wants uh, Drive Pink to be that fortress, you know, obviously um, construction on Melrose will start soon. You know, the golf course is closing down. Uh, on March 19th. So um, their time in Drive Pink is, you know, starting to tick down and they, he wants to make that, uh, their remaining time there, uh, a fortress and he wants the fans involved and, and to make it loud and, and, and crazy. So um, yeah, the the fans speak, uh, the players speak about the fans all the time and, and how important they are to, to the team and, and what they're doing. So um, um, yeah, Neville always mentions them, shouts them out. So yeah, um, yeah, they're kind of like the twelfth man, twelfth woman, uh, woman uh, on the on the field almost with the 
um, the pyro and and occasional fireworks <laughs> and um uh yeah just their 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 rowdiness so um yeah the fans definitely do help and and um obviously if they want uh that home playoff spot which i think um i don't know the new playoff rules i think most teams do get a home playoff spot but they want they want that and to, to continue to continue that that um end of year 2022 form into 2023 with with them so so we I, I, I on Twitter uh, and we'll, we'll let you go after this, I promise. <laughs> um, I, I asked like, hey, do you guys have any questions? So we had one uh, Mark Nichols from the Two Cents Universe. Mark, thank you for reaching out. Um, he is he his question is, uh, what are your thoughts on Joseph's performance so far? I know some people have been a little critical because he hasn't found the net yet, but um, people complained in Montreal that he only had like 15 touches or so in the game. Um, you know, I think he did it. I, th- I think he he was still creative, and I think he, you know, I if I remember correctly, he had one shot like very close on the goal too. So, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's just taking time to gel. He's a different player than Campana. You know, obviously he's going to play off the shoulder and try to get him behind, and wants to do these one touch flicks and and um and two touch one touches on top of the the penalty area, which you know maybe isn't Campana's game. So uh, him and Stefanelli, I think similarly, they just need to gel and 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 um, you know you know get with the system and and um, and just kind of continue to just build chemistry really. And um, I think it'll come. I know Martinez is a yeah brilliant player and um, um, you know he's you know a former MLS MVP, uh, MLS uh, uh, MVP and 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 you know he's, he's shown that he's able to score in the league and he had a couple of chances against Montreal and. Um, you know, and I, I believe in the first five minutes of the Philly game, he had the op- an opportunity to shoot, but Philly closed him down really quickly. So he gets in the good spots. He just needs to, you know, get fully fit. You know, he went, what, 70 plus minutes uh, this this game and his minutes will only continue to grow. So I, I think it just takes time to gel. And, you know, he can score and we've all seen that he's able to score. So um, and he's close to breaking, I believe, what is it, the 100 goal mark in MLS, too. So I think he's like two goals away from 100 goals in, in the league, I believe. I have to double, I have to double check, but. Um, yeah, he obviously is motivated to get that record and, you know, he's only two goals away, so it, it won't be difficult for him. So, um, yeah, he just needs to gel. Awesome. 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 Uh, well, Alex, again, uh, thank you again for, you know, just, just hopping on real quick. We don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, you know, we're just feeling really good right now as, uh, inner Miami supporters, you know, and, uh, it's just going to be a good season We're we're feeling good about it. So, you know, appreciate you coming in and, uh, lending us your expertise on what you saw for the last two weeks. Yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. Uh, busy week is still a busy Sunday for me, but, um, yeah, I'm always pleased to come on here and, and talk with y'all. It's, it's been great. Thank you so much for all that you do, Alex. We really appreciate you. Thank you. Awesome. All right, all right. Uh, sorry if uh, my internet, well, my internet is going in now. Sorry if that's uh, affecting my audio. Uh, but we're gonna keep it moving a little bit. Hopefully that wasn't too crazy. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure uh, the producer AD, the great, will uh, <laughs> will put it all together for us. Um, so Callie, how you feeling, man? Uh, end of Black History Month, beginning of Women's History Month. We did a pretty good. Uh, I think we did a pretty good series this month. What do you think? Yeah, um, I loved I loved the series. Um, really, really had fun with it. Um, you know, it, we we knew it was going to be a, a tall a tall task to um, you know post basically every day and some days several times a day. 
about <laughs> yeah uh, you know but it's um uh, but man it, it was great um you know a lot of familiar faces but you know a lot of new faces as well that that i learned um you know i think it i think what we did i think it really helped us kind of like amplify the fact that there are so many great black people involved in football players coaches staff everything um and you know we we think of some of like these remote places that that we don't give a second thought to have produced some some of the greatest footballers in the world yeah and the the greatest football minds in the world so yeah yeah and so i mean i guess before we get ahead of ourselves let's let's kind of take them back to exactly how this entire series unfolded or the context in which it unfolded uh so of course not of course i don't know if that's fair whatever uh so inner miami did not make any posts for martin luther king day everyone noticed it kind of put him on blast about it um and everyone was kind of, well not everyone whatever a lot of people were watching to see what they would do for black history month um and I was it, yeah, no, they did come out and say something for for Black History Month after coincidentally, we uh we wrote them a letter, a love letter, of course, um kind of expressing to them, you know, what we would like to see from the club uh, as a as a supporter group, right? official or independent, right? It's just a group of supporters that want to see the club represent them more. Um, and so we sent them that letter. we you know, we published that letter on on the socials. Uh, and within a few hours, right, they responded quite quickly. Um, and so they had uh, ended up doing some community effort projects. <laughs> I hate the way they frame these things, right? We're like for at-risk, for at-risk kids. <laughs> it's just like, dude, just whatever. Anyways, we could talk about that all day. Um, so in any case, so that was the context. That was the whole Black History Month context. Um, and so within that, of course, as Black Herons, we decided to uh, do our second series, right? Last year, uh, we focused on uh, Black soccer in Miami. Uh, this year, we wanted to focus on Black soccer throughout the diaspora. Uh, and that's what we did. We we took uh, two legends. Uh, so we, we basically focused on the men's and women's game, right? We took uh, uh, two legends, right? Older, retired players. We took two current players uh, and we took two uh, youngsters, young players, youth players, and then one one coach. Uh, and so we focused on that through um, South America. We did Europe, we did the Caribbean and we did Africa. Um, you know, and as Callie said, we had some familiar faces and we had some, uh, you know, faces and names that, that we weren't too familiar with, right? And hopefully we were able to shed some light on them uh, during the process. Uh, Callie, did you have any? Uh, did you have any individuals that you know kind of stood out to you, or that were kind of some of your favorite, you know, spotlights? Well, I, I know we had a conversation that you saved one of my favorites for last, in Sadio Mane. Of um, you know, of and, and it's you know, <laughs> yes, I'm a Liverpool fan. He's a Liverpool legend. Like there's that connection. But uh, something I love, I, I always love to mention about Sadio, is everything he does off the pitch um you know he comes from an, an insanely poor like like senegal's poor as a nation as it is this is like amongst the poorest like if someone like, yeah i remember seeing a documentary that they made about him it is i, I want to say it was, it was during covid um he like if anybody like got hurt or had to go to a hospital they'd have to like it'd be hours 
So when he got mm-hmm. when he finally got paid and he and he made all this money, you know, he built schools, he built hospitals, he gave them he gave them like uh, consistent electricity, clean water, a bunch of football pitches. He's he's given so much to Senegal and to his hometown. Um, and he's he's just a, an incredible, an incredible human being. And, and someone asked him like, oh, you don't pull up in like Ferraris, but you made all this money. And he said, and he basically said, I don't remember the exact quote. It's very eloquent. I don't remember the exact quote, but he, he basically said that, you know, he, he, he can't, he, he wouldn't be able to live with himself if he spoiled himself this way, knowing how people are living back where he came from. Um, so Sadio always holds uh, a very, very special place in my heart. And um, another one that, that kind of touches me that way is George Weah. Uh, honestly, through our through our series, I <laughs> I used, I, I taught about George Weah in one of my classes. Um, you know, I have some kids that are, that are soccer fans, like, oh, that's, that's Timothy Weah's dad, right? I'm like, yeah, like, he's another one. He comes from Liberia, like, almost had them qualify for a World Cup. You know, Liberia almost qualified from World Cup. You know, one of Ballon d'Or. People call him the best player to yeah. ever play to not win a World Cup. Um, you know, bet. You know, it's a conversation. You know, with him probably being the the best African player of all time. You know, so mm-hmm. just an absolute legend of the game, and now he's the president of the country, which is. Which is an incredible, which is incredible, you know. <laughs> so I mean, and, and we can go on. I, I can I can list five or six other people off the top of my head that uh, yeah yeah you know. And then there's just straight ballers like Lauren James, Bunny Smith, like of course of course that they they really don't get enough love because they're in the women's game, despite mm-hmm. them being two of the best female players on on the planet on planet Earth right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's what I, yeah I was gonna highlight. Uh, you know some of the women on the on the or from the series rather i mean we can look at hope powell right the og og women's coach of the of the women's team um recently of uh uh of brighton right in the women's super league um just a fantastic uh, individual just a trailblazer in so many different in so many different rights in terms of race and gender and sexuality um she's kind of hitting all of those uh, of course, uh, Jean Nelson out of Jamaica, who was just a pioneer for the women's game. I mean, before she was like Sadella Marley, before Sadella, you know, before Sadella Marley, right? And she like, you know, sponsored the team. She, you know, she basically, you know, raised it from from its infancy uh, back in the back in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, we have, uh, you know, Perpetua and Kocha out of Nigeria, one of the legends uh, in the women's game. Um, and again, you know, just kind of, you know, what's what's interesting about Kocha's uh, uh, story, right, is that she was again part of this early wave of of uh, Nigerian women footballers uh, who are challenging the federation, right? Who's challenging the federation in terms of demanding, uh, of course, you know, better working conditions, better wages, um, you know, demanding that they get, you know, what was promised them. Um, and so she's part of this kind of long history of of, of uh, Nigerian women protests uh, against the federation, right? And we see all this happening. Um, you know, most recently, right, with the you know with the French uh, Federation, with Canada, Spain, uh, I mean, a number of different federations throughout South America, of course, Jamaica, uh, right after the Women's World Cup in 2019. So, you know, it's just uh, 
you know, it's a fascinating time in the in the world of soccer, particularly in the women's game, where we see a lot of a lot of women players kind of, you know, reclaiming that power and and, and kind of demanding more institutional change from their, you know, from their federations. So it was a dope series. Uh, you know, it was quite difficult trying to do it every day. You know, sometimes, you know, some days, you know, some days we couldn't get it. So we had to hit you with a, you know, a double dip and a, you know, a triple, you know, some days, but it's, it's all good. You know, it's all good. We make it work. We made it work. So, uh, you know, if you haven't already go ahead, you know, go ahead and check that out on the socials on, uh, Black Herons and Dreaming of Freedoms, uh, IG, and Twitter pages, if you want to catch up on that. Yeah, it, it was it was awesome to do. I know we we joke amongst ourselves like, dang, we gotta we, we gotta make this post real quick, and you know, and, and all the effort that went into posting it. But yeah. I really I really did have a lot of uh, I had a lot of fun with it. It was it was cool to learn, especially someone like 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 Formiga that like you know we we all know what a baller like if you follow the game obviously like you know what a baller you know she well she yeah who what type of player she was but to learn that she's the most capped brazilian player regardless of gender ever is crazy in a country like brazil yep. you know played in seven yep. world cups like dude like like people like that don't get enough love and, and i'm glad we were able to to highlight them a little bit and there was i mean thankfully there was, there was great response to all of our to all of our posts too so where, where you know what i found interesting about the formiga uh story i mean everyone you know i mean of course we could celebrate her longevity in the game and most caps and just i mean just her you know kind of her permanent her permanent fixture uh within the Brazilian national team for, you know, for so many years. But what she, what she often talks about is right. Like, like that's a problem, right? Like, like I should not be the best defensive midfielder uh, in the, in the, in the women's game in Brazil, right? That's a, that's a reflection of kind of the failure of the Fed, again, of the Federation, right? Not, not being able to pump out, uh, you know, quality, you know, quality talent, particularly in this position, right? Like, so what does that say when you have to depend on such an older player uh you know to play this role over and over and over again rather than just you know developing the younger talent developing the game uh in the country i thought it was an interesting kind of different perspective uh we had because we're always celebrating for Mika, right for just being this this baller, fixture right? that's just yeah. like yeah the baller right and like the <laughs> longevity of her of her ballerness yeah <laughs> and so you know she's like yeah that's great but also what about the other girls, right? Like, what about, you know, what about the, like, how is the Federation kind of um, trying to prepare for my departure, right? You know, how is the Federation kind of, um, you know, looking towards the future, right? Or or, or are they looking towards the future, right? Um, so it's, you know, interesting little, interesting little take, but I think it's kind of a broader, you know, just part of the broader context, right, of, of these federations and how they have a long way to go in terms of improving, uh, kind of improving their investments, right, into the women's game, so. Yeah, something something I really appreciated about the series too, just that as we learn about the people, is that almost none of them just stood idly by in their success. A nice. lot of them, nice. almost all of them, that when they achieved a certain level of notoriety that people knew who they were, they used that platform to fight for somebody. You know, to, to fight for back home, to mm -hmm. fight for their country, to fight for mm -hmm. marginalized groups you know for to fight for yeah. for gender equality things like that so it, it was it, it was yeah. amazing to see that you know because for for every hundred or so huge you know euro star football players you know we never hear about what they're doing 
you know, but we always, we, we, we find these that we highlight and these that we focus on. And more often than not, when, when we look at, you know, people from, from di diaspora communities and things like that, diasporic backgrounds, like so often when they finally reach a certain pinnacle, they make it a point to fight for everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, that's, and that was kind of part of what I guess one of the subtle uh, points of the series, right. Was to show that these players, you know, weren't just great uh, on the field, but off the field as well. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess the last thing I wanted to just mention about the series is, is our focus on the younger players. Right. So, you know, a lot of these players we've never heard of before. Right. That's, that probably took most of the research, right. Is trying to find, <laughs> <laughs> trying to find all of this information on all these uh, you know on, on all of these uh, youth players but i mean i mean the game is the game is bright right the future is bright and i mean thinking about the players from the caribbean um you know we can talk about uh you know uh the players out of europe right this this brother named amaruchi van axel duncan right uh he's playing with ajax now you know coming up the coming up the youth system in the netherlands uh lorena fazer right uh balling out with you know PSG right you know making her way uh through the French you know through the French youth team uh hopefully we can see her uh this World Cup you know we'll see we'll see but you know I thought that was probably one of my favorite uh parts of the whole series was the kind of you know the focus on the youth players and and just kind of seeing how bright how bright the future of the game is particularly of course uh in the diaspora yeah, yeah. And again, for every every George Weah, Hope Powell, you know, Dwight York, which that one got a lot of popular that one got yeah. a lot of yeah. a lot of traction. We have the Amaricios and Lorinas. But even like the Linda Castilleros, you know, the you know, even it's gonna sound strange yeah. to say it out loud, but like Mbappe's only like twenty two years old, like right? You know? right. <laughs> like already considered one of the greatest players in the game, you know, Lauren James. You know those type of people that they're you know they're, they're starting to build a name for themselves now you know and the, so it's it's encouraging to see how bright the the future is going to be for the diaspora so mm -hmm. now Callie, uh i feel like we were taking a a major risk highlighting black history in the state of florida <laughs> in the state of florida what the hell is going on with our uh well not well not ours you know their governor and my governor i, I, I do not <laughs> what's going on with their governor what's going on with florida politics <laughs> um <laughs> man where where do we start i guess is yeah. the question uh it's it's a tough time um as someone who who's worked in the education system for several years within the state in both public and private schools it's it's a it's an incredibly strange time to be a part of and you know part of you know part of you is like man i like i i you know i, I have something to fight for now and i have i have you know there it's more important now than ever to to raise your voice but unfortunately with that um the way florida's going right now that that can cost people their jobs and we're we're kind of we're kind of seeing it i mean I, I know we saw recently uh uh, librarian in in, ja in Duval County, uh, Duval County, in you know Jacksonville area. Mm -hmm. He just recorded the inside of the school library, and they took out all the books that were on the ban list. And the library was damn near empty. The guy got fired for that, mm -hmm. you know. And it, it's it's crazy to me 
and I, and I'm not gonna go like on a personal political rant myself, but it, it's sure. the the party that is so afraid of government overreach, the party that is so afraid of um, interfering in rights and in interfering the interfering with social with uh, civil liberties. Yeah. are doing all of those things in a very very aggressive manner and not just it, it's not just aggressive it, to be malicious because it, it is but it's aggressively racist it's aggressively misogynist it's aggressively homophobic mm-hmm. it's aggressively yeah. xenophobic with and the only conclusion i can reach is that the cruelty is the point they that that's the only thing that makes any sense to me um one of the first things that i want to touch on is that within the last couple weeks uh governor ron DeSantis and the florida board of education they stripped all dei funding from state universities and state colleges just like that yep and on top of it, that just being a disgusting move because it, it's just literally something to help promote diversity, equality, and inclusion. It costs people but jobs. It, it shut down entire departments of some universities. You know, and, and you know, people don't understand the impact that that has because we, we see it as a as a as a as a tweet, right? We see it as a headline, but we don't what we don't see are the people at you know, Florida International University, Florida Atlantic University, USF, UCF, FSU, UNF, you know, people that showed up to work one day and said, hey, your department doesn't exist anymore. Go find somewhere else to work. You know, yeah, it, it, it's it's insane to me, truly. Yeah, it's uh, it's wild. Uh, similarly, uh, I'm, all, yeah, I'm also in the education system here in Florida. I won't get into too much details. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, I know people, right. Colleagues that have been told, right. Like, yo, we had to, we had to email the department of education, your, your name, because you are part of this DEI program, or you received funding from this DEI committee. And, and it's, it really straight up feels like, like McCarthyism, right. The red scare and this kind of this moment in American history, right? I mean, really kind of throughout American history, but the, the, the moment I'm specifically talking about is the 50s and the 50s and 60s, when you have this kind of uh, second Red Scare, Senator Joseph McCarthy is out here basically on this anti-communist uh, campaign, and he's labeling anything that you can consider progressive, anything that you can consider um uh critical of the status quo if you will right willing to change the status quo a a very conservative status quo they would label that as communist right and so that gave them you know basically uh that allowed them to target anything that they wanted to target as long as they called it communist right and so in in the contemporary moment we have a very similar thing going on with um you know this idea of critical race theory right or or diversity equity and inclusion right like these like <laughs> like these boogeyman words right that are supposed to that are supposed to capture everything that everything that's like black history right or anything that's like progressive history or anything that's you know queer history right anything that's different or anything that's counter to the status quo gets labeled uh and marked right like literally marked as critical race theory all right so let's be clear right critical race theory right is a theory 
that comes out of legal studies, right? It, it, you, 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 like you're really only going to find this specific critical race theory in law school or graduate school. Okay. So when I was getting my PhD, that was the first time I even heard of critical race theory, right? In a PhD program, right? It wasn't in high school. It wasn't in middle school. It wasn't even as an undergrad, right? And so somehow all of a sudden, basic African-American history, basic uh, gender and women studies, right? All of these things now is, is critical race theory and it is it is indoctrinating the students. <laughs> it's making these students feel bad. And it's like, yeah, so yeah, those, those, yeah, there's a lot to talk about, but I wanted to kind of bring, like, I want, yeah, I wanted to show those parallels between the kind of McCarthy period, this kind of red scare anti-communist campaign and showed the parallels to, to this contemporary moment where everything now is critical race theory. Everything needs to be uh, shut down if it's talking about diversity and, and race, right? It's, it's a scary time, man. It's a scary yeah. time. And we're, we're kind of seeing like a, like a revamp of McCarthyism itself in the sense that like anything left of center is like automatically socialist, it's communist. Like with like the the more conservative people in this yep. in this country have, have labeled anything that they don't like as communist, as socialist. Um, and I kind of laugh at that because yep. even if you take like pretty significant left in America, it's very much moderate in the rest of the world. Like if we're talking like Overton yeah. window, you know, and basically yeah. every country has a different Overton window for those of you that don't know what it is. That's basically like where the, there's a, think of like a, a line with a circle and that circle is kind of like where your country lies within, you know, left to right politics. America is one of the furthest right countries, at least developed and, and like powerful countries in the world, you know, and, and that's not an opinion. That's, that's, that's fact. Yeah. Our, our moderate, like Joe Biden would be considered like a fascist in some fucking Eastern European countries. So it's like, <laughs> it, it, it's it's crazy. But anyway, um, again, I'm not going to go into like more personal political opinions. People who know me know where I stand and, and that's fine. Um, but what what we're seeing again is is anything that is against or in counterculture which even doesn't make sense because if it weren't for the electoral college a republican wouldn't have been present for like the last 30 years but that, that doesn't matter um yeah. if anything that isn't like traditionally valued as an american quality is communist it's socialist they're coming for this they're coming for that we're seeing that uh grossly throughout not just the state of florida but as a country as a whole um, and, and, and again, the, the biggest thing that the, the hill that DeSantis is dying on is, you know, everything's like, we need to stop woke, right? That the big scary woke word, which doesn't make any fucking sense because isn't the whole thing to like be awake, like wake yeah. up. Isn't that what they keep saying? But woke is, yeah. I don't, I don't fucking get it. <laughs> like Republican phrasing is so bad, but anyway, oh, um, but we see it. So the first, the, the, one of the first big things that came out was, uh, the state bill 148, which was a stop woke act um which its its goal was to counter alleged indoctrination not just in schools but in the workplace all right so if you as a so if you as a parent in you know with your child in school felt like any of the curriculum was in was there to indoctrinate your child you know you can you have some sort of legal 
backing now to, to do something about that. And same thing uh, yeah. in, in the workplace, if you feel like, um, you know, if, if, if you don't like the, you know, race equity training or, or DEI training or anything like that, now you have, again, legal backing to counter it. So it, it's an active movement to whitewash Florida, right? And that same yeah. act, the, the state bill 148, DeSantis has just weaponized to completely eliminate AP African-American history. AP African-American history is relatively new curriculum as it stands, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it's it's still in like a, not a, I don't want to say experimental probationary phase, but it was designed um, specifically to help funnel school, uh, funnel students and funding into HBCUs with throughout the country because we're, we're seeing some financial difficulties in a lot of H HBCUs right now and AP African-American history. And, and for those of you that don't know, you, you pass a test, you get college credits and students going into school, the students that pass AP African-American history tests at, at the end of their high school careers would be accepted into HBCUs and those schools in turn would receive funding, which is something that's desperately needed, especially in the state of Florida. So, it, right now, the curriculum is, is only being used in about 60 schools throughout the state. Um, well, before the bill was passed. And DeSantis said he finds no educational value in AP African-American history. Yes. And those are his it, exact words. Yeah. Yes. His 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 thought is, you know, oh, this is this is indoctrinating. This is making pe uh, white people feel bad about themselves because of things that happened a long time ago, you know? And the fact of the matter is, and I was speaking to someone about this, it's like, you can't change the past, right? Like they're, they're all up in arms when people were tearing down Confederate statues because the past is the past and we need to remember it and we need to honor it. But not, not with this, not with education. We can't, we can't dare let these kids find out that slavery was a thing. And even beyond slavery, black codes were a thing and like there, there was this whole thing in the state of Florida that someone got mad because someone said that Abraham Lincoln didn't end slavery, which is technically true. Because when Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, it only freed the slaves in the South. There were still three sta slave states in the North, in Kentucky, Delaware, and New Jersey. So he did not free all the slaves. Mm -hmm. That is that is, that is fact. Mm -hmm. You know, the dude had an election mm -hmm. to win, and that that was that was the point. You know, so there's things like this that are being taught that are that they feel like oh no this is making white people look bad the fact of the matter is no one needs help to white people don't need any help looking worse than they have historically in, in the united states yeah. plain and simple and the fact of the matter is okay no one today was involved in slavery right like that wasn't a thing like sure. none of us i you know no white people now own slavery own slaves no black people now were slaves but white people in this country had about a 400 year head start economically and black people have had a Absolutely. much worse hand dealt to them in this country than white people. And now for the first time, we're countering that with, you know, progressive movements with education. And they don't know how to handle it. So they're going to call it indoctrination. They're going to call it communism. They're going to call it critical race theory. And they're going to try and eliminate it because they want to continue to try and whitewash history so they can continue to benefit off of the history that they created themselves. Yeah. 
I wanted a bit of a rant there. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That was, be- that was beautifully said, you know, that was beautifully said. You know, I think, I mean, so yeah, there's a number of points, right, that I kind of want to respond to. Uh, the first point is this idea of, of this concern for, for white people's feelings, right? <laughs> it's just so, like, so bad boggling to me. It's like, we need to protect white people's feelings, white, the, the, the emotions of these white students because we don't want to make them feel uncomfortable or guilty. But then it's like, listen, black people have been learning under an education system from the beginning of the 20th century, from reconstruction, right? Like when, when they're actually allowed to actually learn how to read and write and get an education legally, they have been taught from reconstruction, right? That white people are superior, that black people are inferior, right? That's what they learn in their history. Like that's what they are being taught in, in their history classes, in their political science classes, right? In the, in whatever, in whatever classes they're taking the educational system, right? During the 20th century, has been quite racist, right? In other words, it's been making black pe- people feel quite uncomfortable, right? <laughs> Sitting in these all white, these whitewashed histories, right? So what happens is that in the 1960s and 1970s, right, black students, black faculty, black black colleges and universities, right, start to demand that African American history, right, history from a black perspective, be instituted in these different uh in these different uh, educational spaces right and so and so from the jump african american history is an effort to diversify right the the curriculum is it's it's an effort to diversify right and 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 really to correct right a lot of the false you know racist history that has been that has been taught about about black people right so on the one hand it's like we're 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 concerned about making white people feel uncomfortable when black people have been feeling uncomfortable with this with this whitewashed information for decades right so that's one point right but before you move to the next point i'm sorry a a big reason why that happens is because a lot of the people that are making these decisions people okay so people don't realize that Ruby Bridges, the first girl to integrate a school in North America and the United States, she's 69 years old right now. She's That's 69. Right. She was 20 years younger. She's, I, I want to say 20 or 30 years lo- younger than Martin Luther King. That means when you look at those pictures of that little six-year-old girl walking up those steps and you see kids, teenagers, young adults screaming at her, threatening her life, holding up... A, a coffin with a black baby doll in it those people are still alive those people are making decisions those people have written a lot of this mm-hmm. curriculum that we're experiencing and it looks old because a lot of the pictures are black and white there was color picture at that time but they don't want to show show the colored pictures because they wanted to make it seem like it was a long time ago same thing with them okay like oh that as these kids like were my, my sister when do you think this picture is like oh the 1920s I, like dude this was like 1965 like there was yeah. color photography already like they they make things seem older than they are so that it feels like there's more distance but the first person to integrate schools in the united states is still alive and like healthy so sorry to cut you yeah. off no 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 i mean that's it's 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 you know an important perspective right i mean you said you know, i mean you said earlier right that like of course right no one here 
is owning any slaves. No one is a slave now, right? But those effects, right? Those effects, right, are are still here, right? That legacy is still here, right? It's, I don't mean to get too, you know, whatever, too academic, if you will, too scholarly, right? But there's a scholar, right, by the name of Saidia Hartman, a brilliant scholar, right? And mm -hmm. she talks about this idea of uh, uh, the afterlife of slavery. Right. And, and 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 how we are still living in that. Right. And how the afterlife of slavery still controls and governs, you know, the way black people and white people move. Right. I mean, it governs our society. Right. So it's yeah. I mean, I mean, the fact that, uh, uh, you know, Ruby Bridges is, is, is still up to a number of different black people and they'll tell you stories about their parents and grandparents growing up through this, you know, nonsense. Right. And here we have in a contemporary moment, things just come, you know, circling right back around. Right. Uh, you know, I think DeSantis and his, and his administration made it quite clear, right, that African American studies lacks educational value. Those are the words he used. Yes, like those are the words, right, that they are using. Right, it straight up lacks educational value. Right, like that is so. One is very violent. Right, it's it's such a violent thing to say. Uh, but two, it's just a. It's quite disheartening, right? As an African American history professor, someone that you know, I made my I make my career off of this. This is how I this is how I make my living, right? And so it's just it's just a slap in the face, right? People get PhDs, right, and in 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 these subjects, right? And so it's just like you're dismissing all of this whole, you know, you're dismissing all of these experiences under under the under the idea that it lacks educational value, right? And of course, they're only saying that because um, what they mean by lacking educational value, uh, what they're really trying to say is that it challenges, of course, the the current economic uh, structure, right? It, it, sorry, not the economic structure, the current educational structure, right? That it it, it challenges um, everything that we've been taught, right? And as you said, right, he's just trying to whitewash history, right? He's really trying to re-whitewash history, right? He's just trying yeah. to do, run, run it back, right? Yeah. So it's... Um, you know, it's a yeah, it's just a it's just a crazy time, and uh, like each day, it just feels like it just feels like a, you know something new is just gonna drop, and he just he knows <laughs> he has no limits. That's what it feels like, and so it's just, yeah. like, it just feels like an all-out attack. Yeah, and I'm I, I I'm a, I'm a history major. Um, you know, I I love Amer I love studying American history. Um, a lot of you know a lot of cool things, but there's no such thing as american history without black history and i was i was explaining to so in in one of my in one of my history classes one of my the world history classes i teach um we're talking about latin american uh, caribbean and latin american revolutions right and i, and I went over the haitian revolution also so afraid the entire time teaching it but whatever if i'm gonna go down i'm gonna go down doing things my way mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and there is no america without the haitian revolution oh my gosh talk about it so talk about it man so at the time of the haitian revolution thomas jefferson was president um so just to give a quick synopsis of the haitian revolution um so haiti at the time it was named saint domingue uh it was a french colony and uh, just one of the heaviest ports for the transatlantic slave trade 
um, them and Jamaica, who were colonized by the British at the time, were pumping out together about 60% of the world's sugar. It was incredibly profitable. Now, something, something important to note are the demographics of Haiti at the time. Um, there were only about 40,000 free people in Haiti in comparison to about 600,000 slaved or indentured people in Haiti at the time. So the indentured people were mulatos, so they had, they had mixed parents, one black parent, one white parent, but there was still over about 500,000 slaves at any given time, black slaves at any given time in Haiti. Um, and the, the conditions were terrible. So when you arrived to Haiti from the slave coast of, of West Africa, usually transported by the Iberians, um, the ex life expectancy of a slave in Haiti was about three years because you were so malnourished, the housing was terrible, so you're getting sick. You know, they're not giving you water breaks out there. And again, you're pumping out a large majority of the world's sugar. And on top of that, Haiti was also producing a huge amount of coffee, indigo, a couple other raw materials and stuff like that. Well, up comes this former slave, uh, Toussaint Louverture. Okay, uh, he eventually became freed because he was incredibly intelligent, very uh, self-educated. He had a bit of an empathetic owner that um, allowed him to, you know, eventually become a, a business owner, helped helped out with the plantation as well. But uh, Toussaint, living as a slave, saw an opportunity to do something about this. So he he worked with other slaves and. You know, you, again, the reason why the hate part of the reason why the Haitian Revolution was so successful is because there's about 600,000 slaves and there's about 40,000 free people. So the overwhelming wasn't hard initially, but they're still fighting. They, they have basically militia armies. They're fighting off the French and then they have to fight off the British Then they have to fight off the Spanish. And eventually uh, in 1803, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte captures Toussaint Louverture, takes him back to France where he dies in a prison. Uh, Jean-Jacques Dessalines um carries haiti through the finish line in terms of declaring independence from france now france made haiti pay 150 million dollars in, in reparations to france to repay the slave owners and all the slaves that they paid off which is fucking backwards but anyways so among that time the conditions were harsh because the treasury was basically depleted a large amount of haitians went into what is now you know the bayou of louisiana so you're thinking new orleans you know, Baton Rouge, that that type of area, and they populated that that area. The French, especially Napoleon, Napoleon, were basically bankrupt, fighting not just they're they're fresh off of fighting the French Revolution, and now they have to deal with the Haitian Revolution. Um, the French at the time basically owned most of everything west of the Mississippi River in the United States and, and also Canada. So Napoleon Bonaparte just says, "Screw this! I need to kind of make up my losses." Um, and sell, and that's how the Louisiana Purchase happens. So sold that what the French owned land in the United States to Thomas Jefferson for like a ridiculously low amount of like, even by today's standards, is like stupidly low. Um, I don't the the number escapes me. I want to say it's like fifteen million dollars. Like yeah, I think stupid. that's it. Yeah, yeah. So from there, America was able to expand westward. If the Haitian Revolution ever happened. Who's to say how we would have gotten land west of the Mississippi? We would have had to go go to war with the French again, maybe, or, or to have some sort of treaty with the French. It would have it would have delayed expansion. So I say that entire story to say that there's no America without 
black people fighting for themselves. There's no, there's no, it's impossible for America to not be synonymous with slavery. Whether you're talking about exactly slavery in the United States or slavery that allowed us to grow westward, which gave us the country that we live in today. I'll tell you, I'll, so I'll tell you, yeah. So all of that spot on. Um, kudos to you for, for taking us to school right there. Was it, I was not expected uh <laughs> not expecting a lesson on the haitian revolution but i'll take it any time <laughs> the the most important revolution in world history uh we can argue that but i'm i'm, I'm ready to argue uh but uh yeah so two more things about that uh cali the first thing yes right just just to give you a sense right uh what cali is trying to what, trying to express is right he's saying that the u.s as we know it does not exist without the haitian revolution right and so i'll take that one step further right so yes napoleon you know sells the louisiana uh the, the, the louisiana territory at the time of jefferson u.s boom gets this i think like 500 acres or a little bit over 500 acres of, it, of land right this, this it's, huge it's, piece it's, of territory yeah it's it's basically louisiana up to like minnesota and westward there right, was a certain right. point i don't know exactly what states the drawing line but the rest was like the Mexico territory still, and then the West was basically still just native land that we haven't even like gotten to mm -hmm. yet. So, mm -hmm. um, so during so during this time, so okay, yeah, so they get the land, they get the Louisiana Purchase, right? So not only does that, of course, now expand the territory of the U.S., right, which is in their infancy as an independent country, right, as seventeen seventy six, you know, so we're not only does it expand their territory, right, to to grow as a nation, but considering that it is a slave nation, right, that land also becomes more, it becomes expanded territory to expand the institution of slavery, right? And so at, around this time, around, around the turn of the 19th century, right, we have the abolition of the international slave trade, right? So no longer can the U.S. import uh, enslaved Africans directly from the continent. So what happens is the emergence, right, and the development of this domestic slave trade, right, this kind of internal slave trade, where you start seeing, you know, enslaved Africans coming down from this eastern seaboard into the deep south and moving further west, right. So all of this is, uh, all of this is part of the messy history right, of the U.S., right? The U.S. is not the U.S. without slavery, right? And we just have to be, like, that is not a conspiracy theory. That is not indoctrination. That is just a historical fact. It's just a historical fact, right? So we can yeah. go on, we can go on all day about, about this, um, you know, but... Um, yeah, and ethics aside, like yeah, yeah. aside from the fact that slavery is a terrible terrible thing right like right. Let, let's 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 pretend that that doesn't matter for a quick moment regardless okay white people still had hundreds of years of a head start economically of course of course of course like just like like if we want to talk dollars and cents like that again that's not conspiracy that is fact yeah, and we don't even have to go all the way back to slavery, right? We could we yeah. could talk about the suburbanization of the country during you know the post the post World War II moment, where the veterans are coming back, the GI Bill, 
who doesn't have access or who has limited access to the GI Bill? African-American veterans, right? Like these these white universities aren't aren't enrolling African-American students, right? So they have to go to HBCUs, which are under underfunded, under-resourced, right? Overcrowded. Uh, you know, they're not getting they're not getting access to these home mortgages, right? So the kind of center of one's generational wealth, right? The home, right? African-Americans have a limited access to that, right? So we don't even have to go all the way back to slavery. We can talk about right here, right now, the 20th century, right? Or, you know, we're in the 21st you're gonna, you're, century. You can, even, you can even, even talk about, you know, Black Wall Street, right? Like we finally have like a, like a like like an affluent Black neighborhood and people couldn't deal with it, so they burned it to the ground. You can talk about Ro- yeah. uh, Rose, the Rosewood community in Florida that yeah. a, white, a, a white woman, um, you know, said that a, that a black man raped her but that wasn't true she cheated mm-hmm. on her husband with another white man and they went down and they burnt the bitch down like that's yeah. not a conspiracy that is fact and that's not the shit that they even put in textbooks because they won't even put it in textbooks right like you you can try and whitewash it all you can but it can't change the fact that those things happened right every right. opportunity like every opportunity that black people have had to get ahead like the, like white people have stepped in and, and pushed it back yeah and you look at like every major American figure that has been assassinated, okay? And not just black, like not just MLK, mm-hmm. not just Malcolm X, mm-hmm. like not just Fred Hampton, mm-hmm. but you're 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 also talking about um, JFK. You're talking about Robert Kennedy. Like everyone that was fighting for civil rights in some regard was was executed. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, it's it, yeah. You know, and it's I, not like, and it's not like the CIA was was like sending MLK letters telling him to kill himself or anything like that's you know right. again, that's that's <laughs> it that's embroiled in truth that's not a conspiracy theory theory that is that is factual something that the CIA eventually admitted to in the mm-hmm. Supreme Court like mm-hmm. you know and I think what it comes down to Kelly is that you know as you mentioned before right like American history does not make sense without Black history right and so one thing I try to tell my students is like listen. If we look at American history just through the lens of quote unquote American history, right? If we just look at it through this kind of dominant narrative of American history, America looks great. It looks like a pretty good country, right? It looks pretty progressive, right? Like all these different, you know, the New Deal and, you know, the American dream, right? All of this sounds fantastic, right? But when you look at American history through the lens of race, right? Through the lens of gender, right? Through the lens of sexuality, that history does not hold up. That 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 positive progressive image of the U.S. is no longer coherent, right? Because what we what we realize is that there is a whole group of people right, that have been discri- historically right discriminated against and and more than discriminated against, just straight up murdered, right? Just straight up attacked, right? Like citizens. So the country, the U.S., is guilty of murdering and attacking uh violently attacking its own citizens right and i think that's obviously what you know people like desantis and other other state you know governors and politicians are are trying to conceal right they're trying to conceal that history um they're trying to again as you said you know whitewash or re-whitewash uh american history um and it's just not gonna fly right it's just not gonna fly i think uh you know just speaking to a lot of the you know professors and different educators on the ground here in florida Right, they're 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 committed, right? They're committed. Um, 
yes, yes, there's a lot of anxiety, right? Let's not be, let's not be, uh, you know, mistaken. There is a lot of anxiety every time I go into a classroom. It's just like, all right, are we, you know, is one of my students going to record me and you know just do some dumb shit, right? Like you just never know, right? But um, but there is a commitment, right? There is a there's a deep commitment to to keep teaching, you know, these histories, to keep teaching our, you know, to keep teaching our children and keep teaching our students uh, the proper history, you know? Yeah, and one thing that, unfortunately, the these more conservative figures have accomplished is that anyone who questions the narrative that America is great hates America, right? And that that's that's not true. I don't hate America. You know, like at the end of the day, like this is this is my home, this is my country. It's just, you know, at a point you expect that for like 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 national allegiance like comes to the side for me when it comes to just like people being treated like people. Um and I don't think anyone's asking for anything outrageous, right? Like no no one's asking for like one person to be put above another. It's just like just level out the playing field, man. Like make it fair. And it's not just a race that the governor is attacking. Um, House Bill fifteen fifty seven, as as DeSantis named it, the Parental Rights of Education Act, but more commonly known colloquially as the Don't Say Gay Bill. Mm-hmm. You know that one is, you know, just as violent, I believe, as absolutely, you know, banning uh, AP African American history because now what you're doing not so I, I i can go i i actually in undergrad i wrote a, a, a huge paper about this specifically like if you look at suicide rates among young gay people in the state of florida and in the country like the numbers are staggering they are staggering like more than like so if you look at first off before you even get into suicide like if you look at the entire like um like the homeless homeless youth in the country over half of them are in the lgbtq community and if you look at youth suicides more than half are in the lgbtq community if you look at lgbtq homelessness again almost all of them are running away from abusive households or or families that don't want them. So now what you're doing in schools is instead of letting schools be a safe place where kids can go and be themselves and learn, what you're doing is you're taking away that perhaps the only safe space in this kid's life, the only safe place they can go to every single day and they can't even be themselves anymore because now teachers have a responsibility to report a student who not even is confirmed gay that they think might be gay or they heard him say something, you know, that that makes them think that they may be gay. Now they have to call their parents and tell them that. And this is all veiled under the this is all veiled under the, the guise of, oh, we just want transparency in the classroom. But by the same token, you, you say there can't be pride flags in classroom. There can only, in fact, there can only be an American flag in the classroom. You know, you, you, now you're changing up what kids can and can't read. You know, uh, like like a teacher can't have a picture of, of them with their partner on, on their desks. Like you're 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 
trying to force feed everyone into the same ideology because you're what uncomfortable with it it's crazy bro because because it's crazy, not bro. because I, I i don't i don't know so you're you're putting a lot of kids in harm's way and this is something that i feel very passionate about uh, as someone who has taught and coached a lot of kids in the lgbtq community and how some of them came out to me before they came out to their own parents because they're afraid, mm -hmm. you know, and especially in Miami that has, it, it, Miami's kind of a monolith in the sense that there is, there is a, there is a big LGBTQ community down here, but at the same time, there's a lot of old Hispanic and, and kind of Caribbean conservative mindsets in the sense that homosexuality is wrong. And it's a bomb. It's an abomination towards God or whatever. Yep. So, yep. It, it's it's there's a huge culture clash in Miami specifically in terms of that. And with this, you're just putting a lot of kids in harm's way, and it has nothing to do with education. It has nothing to do with safety, because every opportunity that politicians, not just Governor DeSantis. And not just you know the south or whatever every opportunity that we've had the opportunity to make schools a safer place for kids in terms of reducing gun violence which is the one number one cause of death for young people in the country right now and it's not cancer it's not suicide it's, it's gun violence instead of doing something to make sure guns aren't getting into schools you're more concerned about drag shows you're more concerned about you know you know kids walking into a classroom and see a pride flag you're more concerned about you know kids wearing a pride pin on their backpack or on their lapel of their uniform you know all for all and it's and the, the most fucked up part is and and it's it goes with race it goes with gender it goes with sexuality you're only doing this to win votes they are only doing this to reach a certain contingent of a voter base because you're a garbage fucking human and sitting in an office and writing your name on a paper a bunch of fucking times a day is more important than the lives of kids and the lives of people mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it votes but and and and, and I, that's probably how he really feels right like yes yes he's trying to get votes right or like i'm also would not be surprised that this is how he really truly feels like he really probably truly feels that african-american studies has no educational value he truly feels that you know uh we should not be indoctrinating these students with with you know gender and sexuality studies right like he really truly believes this and what's what's even more scary Callie, is that yes if so yes if we agree that he is a, appealing to voters Right, then what does it say about these damn voters? What does it say about our, you know, the state? Right? What does it say about the country? Right? Because he's he's not just appealing to to Florida voters; he's appealing, right, to kind of a wider a wider base, right? That is uh that that'll eat all of this up. Especially since he's, you know, I mean, he hasn't officially come out and said it, but he's alleged allegedly about ready to run for president in exactly twenty four. Exactly. And yeah. you know. And I was actually speaking with my wife about this yesterday. So the the first election I ever voted in was my senior year of high school. I voted for Barack Obama. 
And I remember, like, I, I was still young. I wasn't very informed on politics and stuff at the time, but like, I, I knew enough to know, like, okay, like, Obama. And, and again, like, if if you know me, you know why I'm why I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say. I love Obama because I think culturally he was an incredible president, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think he did so much in terms of like, um, like changing the way young people, especially, see politics and how. Sure, you know, like he really worked his way up the ladder, and, and and you know, Obama did a lot of things I loved. He did things I I didn't like, and I'm again, I'm, this is not that type of show, but yeah, yeah, but, no, but we went from, and I was talking about this with my wife, and and even with some of her family who who are like traditional Cuban conservative types, like and you know, European conservative types, mm-hmm. that like we weren't seeing this kind of cultural conflict as much when Obama was president, right? So then we go from someone like Obama to immediately into Trump. And what happened there is where Obama gave a voice to the marginalized and and gave people hope. And that was his whole his whole premise of his campaigns, right? It was hope, it was change. While Obama culturally gave a lot of strength and 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 and, and you know a platform for marginalized communities, black communities, you know, LGBTQ communities, you know, Trump gave a voice to a very dangerous militant group of people that are very much fixated on, for lack of better words, and I hate using Twitter buzzwords, but I'm just going to say like Christian white nationalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the dude that couldn't tell you a, a verse in the bible is like the the face of christian nationalism who would have thought but um you know and what the happened is that trump empowered a lot of people that already felt this way they were just afraid to say anything about it and now we have people That's saying it. the we have people saying the quiet part out loud and, and you know these people that again the people that were there screaming at ruby bridges whether they're in person or through the tv or through the radio the ones that were pissed off about you know ending segregation the ones that were pissed off about you know the martin luther king and and the civil rights movement and these people have a voice again <laughs> and they have a strong voice and i think voting i think voting history proves that there's there's more people on our excuse me on our side of things than on their side of things but as far but the difference is despite more left-leaning people winning the popular vote the system's always designed so that conservative parties win so that the white wealthy people end up winning so despite there being more of us than them they still get to win because the, the system is designed to serve them and it's not that the system is broken the system is working exactly as it's intended to that's why we got to burn the bitch that's, down and start that's over it. that's it <laughs> that's it that's it and yeah yeah and i would you know i, I think another way to reframe a little bit what you just said was or kind of how I'm thinking about what you just said rather is it doesn't matter who's in who's in the office right yeah I think that's what's like mind-blowing it's just like you know yeah I didn't want this okay I, I'm not sure where this where this episode has gone but whatever we're here uh so whether it's Democrat or Republican in the office 
right? They're going to uphold American values. And history has shown that American values are actually quite racist, right? Are actually quite homophobic, are, are actually quite sexist, right? So like, even with even with our the first black the first black president right he still upheld a lot of very problematic uh, uh, um, kind of particularly militaristic right ideals um, in terms of you know how he uh, kind of expanded the drone program and all these different things so we I mean listen we could talk all day about the pros and cons of these different presidents what I, what, what I think we both are trying to suggest is that it doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter what party it is, right? It's just two sides of the same coin. Yep. <laughs> there it is. It's just two sides of the same coin, right? Uh, that, yeah, whatever. Yeah, we could talk about what the coin is, but what well, that's, that's probably another episode in itself. Um, so, Cali, any any last minute, any last minute, I hate to just cut it off like that. Any last minute, I think we need to this, or <laughs> we can end up. We're, we're gonna very end on something a little bit more positive. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I'll see something in my emails. Yeah, um, but but you, you know, know I mean, you know what I do want to end on, and I, and, I, and I'll say this in a in a positive way, and I think we'll reel it back into like what our what our goal with this podcast is. Saturday night was a vibe, bro. Like I had such a good time. Yes, it was. Saturday night. Yes, like, it was. At the game, like yes, it was man like you know obviously we spoke to alex earlier but i mean the fact that what we're doing as black herons and you know working with other groups you know more inclusive groups within the inner miami community the fact that we can visibly see it getting under people's skin and that we can physically see you can literally see it's palatable how things are already starting to change a little bit because people are starting to feel a little bit of pressure. So I guess my, I guess my parting, I guess my parting thought is like, keep applying pressure wherever you're at. You know, if you're in a classroom, you're at work, home, you know, social circles, like apply pressure. And, you know, people always try and say like, Oh, I don't like talking. I don't like talking about these things because I don't want to lose friends. Like, bro, if someone's going to stop being your friend because you're, talking about this shit then that's not a friend you need like straight up that's not a person you need yep. to be associated with so yep. you know yep. apply pressure don't you know don't back down like we have to we don't have a choice at this point anymore and i think i'll end it with this apply pressure and keep drinking auntie mary's rum punch keep drinking auntie mary's rum punch <laughs> i think if everyone sat down and just you know we got everybody sitting in a circle. We got some Aunt Mary's passing around. I think we're gonna be. I think just have we, I a think glass. We'd, we'd hash it out a little bit. I think. Just, just have yo, yo, come on over to the green lot. Have For have real. a good time. I'll I'll pour you a cup myself. Unless you're unless you're someone that has historically or in the past has said <laughs> some pretty racist or homophobic stuff. You know who you are. Don't even come around here. Don't come around those parts. We will quickly dismiss you, right? Yeah, we're all inclusive, expeditiously, we're, expeditiously <laughs> right? We're all inclusive, but we don't include the racists, right? We don't include the homophobes. We don't include the sexists. And if you and, are one, then you're gonna have to go through some serious 
uh, training, some serious kind of unlearning. We'll find some. We'll find some funding for some DEI programs for you, dog. I, I, I promise. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. it, in in the spirit of that, Abraham Lincoln probably has one of my favorite quotes in in American history, where he says, "History will remember us in spite of ourselves, whether in honor or in dishonor." So mm. that's, that's my real, thought. That's real. Love it, love it, love it. All right, Callie, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. you. Know, let's man. do it again. Let's do it again next week. We got a couple of um, we got a couple of good episodes lined up. So make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're listening. All the good stuff. Um, we have a break. We have you have a two week break away games. I need it. I need to get some rest. My body is breaking down from all the rum punch and all the screaming. And the mind is willing, but, it's, but good. the body is struggling. <laughs> the mind is willing with the always mind. always man i woke up this morning and i felt it in my knees bro like my knees my back my shoulder i'm like dude i'm, I'm getting too old for this shit bro uh, we are getting <laughs> way too old for this i'm like we're getting too old but we're just getting started it's <laughs> yeah it feels weird absolutely. but here we are all right brother take care man all right man have See a good you night. next time yep all right cool